Hi, welcome to Ask a Pastor. This is a podcast and uh, content we've been producing for a while now where you send questions and I sit with somebody from our staff team or others and uh, just react to the questions that you send in. So today I'm joined by Evan Brem. Evan is part of our student ministry team at our Wexford campus, uh, is leading our middle school ministry, just doing a super job. If you have middle schoolers and are in Pittsburgh and can get to Orchard Hill, Wexford, Evan and Jenna will do a phenomenal job uh, leading them toward Christ. Uh, we have our Collide service uh, that runs simultaneous to our worship services most Sunday mornings and uh, a lot of great activities, small groups Wednesday nights, uh, really super. So uh, Evan, welcome. Uh, glad Thank you're you. here today. Thank you. And we are going to begin uh, with a question. Uh, and here's how this is worded. I'm going to just read how it's worded. It said, this is a bit of a morose topic, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm curious what, if anything, Scripture has to say about cremation. I've assumed I'd be buried in alignment with the rest of my family, but now I'm not sure that that makes sense in connection with environmental and personal preferences. Does Scripture address a preferred or dictated burial method? So, uh, what's your, what's your yeah. response? So, I think in digging through Scripture about this, um, there's two things that I'm definitely convinced of. One is that there's no command scripturally either way. Uh, there, there's no direct command to only bury. There's no direct command to not cremate. Um, we do see, you don't see anyone, you don't see any examples of anyone being cremated as a means of burial in the Bible. Um, you do only see them being buried. Um, and I'm also convinced of the fact that when Jesus does come back um, and raises the dead to life, those who are with him, that the state, the physical state of our bodies at that point is not going to affect his ability to give us our glorified bodies. Um, And so being convinced of those two things, I feel like for me, it kind of came down to the question of, does burning a body rather than burying it after death honor, still honor God with our body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of been around and around about that, to be honest, because I'm, I'm digging into stuff. And, and Paul says in Philippians, he says, whether in life or death, mm-hmm. I, I want Christ to be honored. Um, and, he sa- and he says in First Corinthians that um, we're temples of the Holy Spirit and, and, and to honor God with our bodies. Um, and so I, I've kind of been around and around there. And I think it comes down to the question of, of is it dishonoring to burn a body after death? Um, and and I've, um, just looking into things, you know, I found some opinions about, well, look at what burning does to a, a body. Like it's, it's grotesque and it's gruesome what burning does to a living body. Um, but then that didn't fully convince me because I feel like also burying someone alive is also pretty grotesque mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and a horrible way to die. Um, burying alive. Yes, because well, because uh, we're burying after they die. <laughs> no, no, I, I, oh, burying, you're alive. About burying alive. Yeah, because okay. because th- this opinion was looking at it from the from the perspective of well, look what look how like fire when when brought to a human body causes pain and causes right. burns and causes destruction to it. Um, but you know we're talking about bodies that are no longer like living anymore that the okay. people have moved on from those bodies and so 
I wasn't fully convinced by that. So to yeah. be honest, I've, I've kind of gone around on this. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. It, the, uh, I, I appreciate the way that you're thinking about it, saying, let me first look at, see what the scripture says. And, and this is probably a good um, moment just to take, take a second and say, how do you resolve an issue that the Bible doesn't exactly address? Mm -hmm. and, and so what, what you did is really great. You said, first, is there a clear command that this is going to violate? And you said, no, there's no clear command. Then what are some, some things that I would say are true around this issue, which, which for you, you said God can raise anybody. Um, you know, the, these things are true. And then you start to say, okay, now what are the implications? How do I make a clean decision based on that? Mm -hmm. And so that part is, is outstanding. And, and one of the things that, that can happen is sometimes people can come to different conclusions when scripture doesn't have a clear, this is what it teaches. Mm. Uh, sometimes the Bible teaches something and you go, oh, that, that, that's it. Everybody should be able to agree with that. Here, what you're doing is you're saying, well, now I'm making a decision, not on something that's directly taught, but something that I'm making indirect references right. or implications from. And what that means is some people may come to different conclusions yeah. about the same thing. And that's actually okay because at that point we're trying to interpret some things and we're making a, a, an interpretive um, decision on the back end of it. Um, I, I would probably uh, add to that um, the, the thought of, of saying our body is something that matters um, because of this idea of a resurrected body, which is really mm -hmm. a cool thought. I mean, mm -hmm. when you think about the idea that, that Scripture teaches that we get a resurrected body one day if we are in Christ and are raised up to new life. Um, so, so, so in that sense, my body matters. Um, but having said that, if I die, uh, at an old age and I am placed in a grave, even if I'm embalmed, my body's going to decay to the point where, where it probably isn't substantially different than a body that's been cremated right, and returned to dust. That's right. Yeah. At some point you open a grave and I don't suggest you do that, but, <laughs> but, but, but what you'll find is that, is that this body decomposed to the point of being not physically that different. All you're doing is hastening the process uh, that God can do. So, so if you say, Hey, I want to, for environmental reasons, personal preferences, do this. I wouldn't struggle with that at all. But again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't struggle if somebody says, no, I really believe that this is more honoring mm -hmm. to God to, to follow a natural uh, or a longstanding, not natural, longstanding process yeah. of burial. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that's good. Good. Any other thoughts on that? No, no, I think, yeah, that's what I have Okay. So uh, this is one we're going to ask the middle school guy uh, here. <laughs> and uh, is it sinful to gamble on sports in mm -hmm. general or fantasy sports? So, yeah. so just asking the, the question, is it, wrong, morally wrong to gamble, basically in general, probably right. is really the question. I mean, they tied it to sports, yeah. but obviously with the, with the, um, uh, explosion of fantasy games, daily games, um, and, which is really gambling, uh, with, uh, the explosion of sports gambling. Yeah. Sports gambling becoming um, legal. Yeah, in places. exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's probably a bigger issue that some yeah. people need to resolve. Is this something that before God is something that I can choose to do. Yeah, and I think the root of the issue of gambling itself, um, I think the verse that I looked to for that was first in 1 Timothy 6, um, which says, the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. Mm -hmm. um, and that gambling for gambling um, 
I feel like it's hard to defend a cause for gambling other than trying to gain more money with the money you have. Mm-hmm. Um, on gambling as, as, as a big overarching thing. And so I feel like it's, it's hard to gamble for the sake of gambling and defend that it's not in some way rooted in the love of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I feel like you move into stuff like fantasy sports, and there's like, let's, let's just say fantasy football, for example, mm-hmm. and you're playing in a league where, you know, it's, it's a 15, uh, $15 $20 buy into mm-hmm. the league, and you enjoy the, the, the process of drafting a team, you follow the league, um, you enjoy drafting the players, following up on the players, you know, making educated decisions on who you're going to play, and just trying to win. Um, and there's $200 at the end for whoever wins. Right. Well, you know, then if that to you is 20 bucks is just the cost of that experience um, and you're not emotionally invested in that $200 that you're going to be winning at the end of it, I feel like that's something different. I feel like you're, you're playing that for the sport of it. Um, mm-hmm. And like if, if you would have gone about it the same way had it been a free league, Mm-hmm. than had it cost 15 or 20 bucks to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would defend. So, so by that logic, if somebody says, I'm going to go to a casino uh, tonight and the cost of my night is $100 or $1,000, $10,000, depending on their wealth before they go, um, and says, I'm just, I enjoy this and this is my cost of my entertainment tonight. Hmm. Is, that, hmm. is that the same issue or is that different? Yeah. And, and does it change yeah. based on the amount of money right. at some point? Or is that, uh, right. how, I mean, how, how would you quantify that? Because I would think, just back to fantasy sports or sport betting in general, somebody may say, I just enjoy having a little more rest riding on the game than if I watch it otherwise. Mm. So, you know, the pens play and I get to take some prop bets and I get to, you, you know, they win, lose, cover, you know, all these things. Um, and I put 50 bucks down and it just makes it fun for me. Right. Um, how is that different? And is it different if it's 5,000 or 50,000 yeah. that they put down yeah. and say, this is just fun for me. I, and I guess that's just my question as you explain yeah. that. Cause yeah. I don't disagree with your, your sentiment, but I'm asking right. wh- where then does it become different or problematic or what you said was, you know, seeking, um, you know, in a sense to gain money quickly. And, and I think that's probably the issue biblically mm-hmm. is I think it's Proverbs and other places that talk about when you want to gain wealth quickly without mm-hmm. work, basically, mm-hmm. that that's a problem. And I think that's where gambling becomes a problem. Right. When, when you're seeing it as a means to an end or as a way to gain money, um, rather than this is, you know, like, like if you and I say, hey, let's, let's bet a milkshake on on the outcome of uh, the Steeler game over the weekend or something. I don't think that's gambling or wrong. Right. Um, if we said, let's bet $10, I don't necessarily feel, but, but somewhere in the whole arena, it can switch into, I'm trying to avoid work and gain money mm-hmm. rather than I'm having a, a time with some friends. Right. And, and so I'm asking, how do you discern, I guess, where that line is? Because I agree that there's, there's a distinction. Yeah. So, so how, would you, how would you find that line? Yeah, I mean, and that, it's, it's a very tough line to draw because it definitely differs between the person and what, whatever their financial standing is at mm-hmm. that moment. Um, and I, I think that's where we would have to challenge people to just to be introspective and honest with themselves on, 
okay, well, why are you entering into this? Whether it's, it's betting on a game or, or entering a, a fantasy league or, or, or whatever it is, wagering money on something, you know, do you have things riding on winning this? Mm-hmm. Um, are, in some way, does it, do you have discontent with the amount of money you're making in your job? Um, because like you talked about, like it, it, it's a means to an end sometimes that it, it's, it's trying to make money quickly that you aren't making it another way. And I think, you know, in, in whatever job we're in, um, if we're honoring God with our work and trusting God with where he wants, wants us to be, he, he tells us in Matthew 6 that he's, don't worry about, you know, your basic mm-hmm. needs I'm providing for you. Yeah. Um, so wait. I think it varies from person to person, but then where does it become uh, an exercise of mistrust that I need to get this money mm-hmm. to, to reach a level of comfort that I, that I need or, or, or to be able to meet my basic needs that I don't feel like mm-hmm. are going to be met in another way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably add to that the idea of saying, what could I do with that money mm. also? Um, saying... Um, you know, gambling in many ways is throwing money away. Yeah, you may win some, but there's a reason the house is right and the house wins um, yeah. more yeah. than we do yeah. uh, if you engage in it. And, and so, so, so I do think there's a stewardship question there too hmm. that's also bigger than just the entertainment question, meaning, meaning am I in doing this avoiding other things that I could do with that resource that would be for the good of the, of the world. Um, and, uh, and again, you can get carried away with that question. You know, you want to go to Hamilton, you can be like, well, I could use that money to do a lot of good, uh, rather than, than go see Hamilton at the same time. I I think there's that, that gambling because of its addictive nature and repetitive nature is different than a show or something else that you go to and consume because there's a, there's a, well, maybe the next one, uh, kind of a thing that gets yeah. pulled into that. So, so, so I think that would be another question I would ask if somebody goes the route of saying this for me is a, is a way of, of, um, entertainment. And I'm doing this because I enjoy what it brings to mm-hmm. whether it's the sports or fantasy yeah. betting or whatever. Um, and, and I, and I don't disagree that sometimes that's okay. I'm spending some money for that. But then as you get further into it, what happens is, is it becomes, okay, now I'm not just betting on this, but now I'm betting, you know, all the time and I'm trying to make money. And then it's, okay, what have I spent that money on uh, rather than, than something else? So, right. so, so yeah, it's an interesting question. So one more question for you, and this is, is in some ways a, a substantial topic, mm-hmm. but um, it says, how can a young man overcome lustful thoughts? Now, it's worded man. I assume women also have lustful mm-hmm. thoughts. Um, but, but let's, let's just focus for a moment on the male side of it, since it's the way that this question was asked and you work with young men, uh, guys coming of age, uh, probably yeah. a pretty substantial issue. Uh, so how would you encourage somebody to, uh, to deal with and overcome lustful thoughts? Yeah, I, I would start by encouraging that there is no space, there is no place that you can bring yourself to in your sin that God cannot come and meet you in or come mm-hmm. and pull you back out of. Um, because, I, I mean, I know from, from my sin growing up that, you know, I've hit spots in my life where I felt like I was just 
too far and that I had to, to clean up or I had to, to fix myself up to be presentable to God um, and to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And it's such a lie. Hmm. You know, it's, I, I love Deuteronomy 4.29. It says, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with mm-hmm. all your heart and with all your mind um, or, or your soul. Um, and and the, the from there is a space talking about the Israelites where they're at a place where they're totally disregarding God, totally worshiping other idols, um, you name it. And it's like, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think sometimes it, it becomes such a big issue because um, it's, it's one that a lot of shame surrounds mm-hmm. that young people— Middle-aged people, yeah. older people. It's not people, just a young person yeah, issue, right? Um, feel a lot of, of shame from it and, and are hesitant to bring it forward because they're worried about their response. Mm-hmm. Um, and us as, as the church and, and, and you know, people who are in leadership and people who are leading life groups in, in the church, um, I think we definitely have a responsibility to, to just exercise that grace that God also exercised, mm-hmm. uh, exercises towards us um, when people come forward with that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, because, you know, in my, in my life, I've had to come forward with mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and, and, and seek help and seek healing from. Um, so it's, it's always frustrating to me when I know that there are people feeling how I once felt that I can't bring this forward because it's right. too dirty right. or it's too much. Right. So I couldn't agree more with what you just said at the same time. So then when somebody does bring it forward mm-hmm. and says, I want to be free from this, I don't mm-hmm. want to walk in this anymore. How would you help them then uh, get some freedom from it or relief from it. Yeah, I would th- there's a couple of things. Um, one of them is a quote that I just came across, A.W. Tozer. Um, he said, the man who has struggled to purify himself and has had nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he stops mm-hmm. tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you spoke on one thing I need, mm. it's that, you know, it's, it's that, we so so often and i think with this issue very very specifically think that we need to fix the 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 little things and fix all the symptoms um but you know i've been face down praying many times asking for things to be removed but really what what is the life-changing thing is is the one thing that we need and that's that's fellowship and relationship with jesus um so it would first just in everything point them back to the cross and back to, to, to Jesus' saving grace there. Um, and then also it's, it's okay, well, how, how do we react when, because the truth of the matter is, and I think um, for men especially, I, I can't speak from experience for women, but for men, that for some men, temptation is going to be there for the rest of their mm-hmm. life. Um, that that's just the reality of it. So how do we handle when that temptation does hit? No matter how, you know, mm-hmm. we're still in sinful bodies or are still sinful people. So no matter how much we get ourselves into communion with Jesus, temptation will still be present. Right. Um, so in, I think it's first Timothy again. Um, yeah. First Timothy four, he talks about training in righteousness. Um, so, so building ourselves up and building, building our, our habits up and our lives up in a way that whenever, um, 
we are questioning what we want to do and, and when temptation does hit, that we are, we are trained in righteousness that we're going to react in a way mm -hmm. um, that, that we look to God and not to the temptation. Okay. Yeah, the, the, um, I, I think I appreciate how you've set that to say this isn't necessarily the biggest issue. I think I, I've seen a lot of Christian men define the entirety of their spiritual life based on whether or not they succumb to lust or they don't. Mm. Um, and, and I think there's a danger in saying this doesn't matter. I just let that go. But there's also a danger in saying the only way that I am good uh, before God is if right. I can be right. pure for a week right. rather than uh, whether or not uh, I can yeah. or cannot. And, and, and what you're talking about, I think what that Tozer quote, quote points to is that, is that the way to get free ultimately is not to try to manage your sin better. You know, a lot of people talk about accountability, bouncing your eyes, all this stuff. And that's, mm -hmm. that's not bad. All good things. Yeah. But if it were that easy, we could manage our way out of right. all of our sin. Right. The way that you ultimately overcome your sin, any sin, is, is uh, I think, it, I forget, Thomas Chalmers, I think it was, called it the expulsive power of a new affection. And what that means is the only way that I'm going to ultimately say my satisfaction isn't in obsessing about this one thing or, or uh, lusting after this, but it's in Jesus and in him, and the more that we're taken with his beauty, his wonder, then, then we're able to say, I don't need this smaller um, pleasure today mm -hmm. because I have a greater pleasure, and, and I'll have more pleasure when I lean into that than when I lean into this. And, and that is um, counterintuitive, but, but I think an important piece yeah. of that uh, for most men because uh, if it were as easy as I just you know, put something on, you know, my, my phone to track me and send notes to my wife or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, then you, but, but it's, it's in your mind, it's internal and, and you can avoid and manage the sin part of it. But, but, but the heart part is what actually needs right. to, needs to change right. in order to change real direction. And yeah. that requires, uh, I think it's a great phrase, an expulsive power of a new affection, saying I've got something that I love more that's more important to me. And ultimately that's being in the presence of and seeking God. And today that's, that's a priority over yeah. anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but a big issue, challenging issue without any doubt. Uh, so Evan, thank you for, uh, for making the time to be a part of this. Again, if you have uh, questions or comments, please submit them to ask a pastor at orchardhillchurch.com and we'd be happy to address it in a coming episode.